0: that's fine no no i hear both ways all the time so it's not a problem no problem aaron don't worry about it well good morning everyone and um my name is graham and uh, we're going to be doing a second week on a series on worship and uh if you're here last week you'll uh maybe remember that we did a little bit of an overview of the old testament patterns of worship and uh That involves a lot of looking at the fact that in the Old Testament pattern of worship, it started right back in the Garden of Eden with with Adam and Eve, and uh, and they were with God in the Garden, right? And they had this face-to-face relationship with him. And uh, we talked about that as a pattern of worship where there's closeness of relationship between humanity and God, where they're in the same place, that there's no division, There was no barrier between humanity and God, where everything that humanity does is focused and oriented in worship towards God. And how as a result of the fall, that relationship that was broken, that, our, that worship itself was, was corrupted and broken because there was no intimacy of, with relationship with God any longer. And how in the Old Testament, God initiated and put into place these patterns where worship could be restored, where His his presence could be with his people. And that looked like, you know This pattern of the tabernacle, I don't know if you remember that diagram of the tabernacle where you had to kind of come in each step of worship. You had to go through the, the place where you, you washed and were purified. And then you had to um, go past the altar and there was sacrifice and bloodshed. And then you, only once a year the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. And that was a pattern of Old Testament worship that was established in the time of Moses that continued through the time of David, through the time of Solomon. And even when the temple was built in Jerusalem by King Solomon, that pattern of worship remained. If you read the story of the dedication of the temple by Solomon, I mean, there's just, just thousands upon thousands of animals that are, that are given up in sacrifice to God as that temple is dedicated. And if you think that was a clean and sanitary uh, worship experience, I mean, it was, it was pretty messy. And, and these were patterns of worship that God had established. And so, what we're going to look at today, as we wrap up, is New Testament patterns of worship. So, if that was what happened in the Old Testament, what happened is worship in the New Testament, and then, you know, what does worship look like for us today, and uh, how does this affect how we worship today? So, I want to start by looking at in the New Testament at a passage of Scripture from uh, Philippians, chapter two, starting in verse five. And this might be uh, familiar to, to many of you, but this is a passage talking about Christ, and so. Um, Paul is writing to this church in in Philippi, and he writes this exhortation to them. And so I'm just going to read it. And your relationships, he's writing to the church here, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant So this is a really famous passage in the New Testament. It talks about how Christ was equal with God the Father, completely equal, and yet he humbled himself. And when you um, study this passage, you often think about it in terms of um, where Jesus started, where he went. So he starts with heaven, equality with God the Father, both in in who he is, but also in in where they are. They're in the same place. And Jesus descends to earth, and he has his earthly ministry. He's on the cross. And then later we talk of his descent, into hell itself and then later he's raised up back to life and he's on the earth for a period of time appears to his disciples and then he ascends back to god the father and you see this kind of trajectory of the life of christ and what it means for us well aside from being a really important part passage of scripture in the new testament it's also believed that this was one of the earliest worship songs of the new testament that this was Um, This was actually a hymn of praise to Jesus. And it's one of the earliest examples of a hymn of praise that we have of the New Testament church. That's why when you read it in your New Testament, it kind of appears a little bit different. They're trying to show you that it's actually a song and not just, you know, just written out as as encouragement to us. But this is a song of praise that shows us really clearly that in the earliest, from the very earliest days of the church, they have worshipped Jesus. They have worshipped Jesus and they have exalted Jesus. And why would this be the case? Why would they go from this system of sacrifice and temple at Jerusalem to suddenly the earliest followers in the Christian church are are, are worshiping Jesus and they're no longer doing all the practices of, you know, all the animal sacrifice and going to the temple and all of that? Why did that? Why was there a sudden change? Well, it's clear that there was there was this change. Whenever we read in the New Testament, we see that they weren't, the Christians were no longer going to the temple. They weren't going to these different places to worship and to do the Old Testament patterns. They were meeting in homes. They were meeting in these, in these uh, very different venues. They were singing songs and, and hymns and, and spiritual songs and, and all of these things as they got together in worship. It's really clear as we read the New Testament that the breaking of bread and um, having wine together, what we call communion was central to their worship experience. So, like we say, why did this? Why was there this big change? Well, I think one of the most important things for us to realize is that even though all of those Old Testament worship practices disappeared, they didn't become obsolete. They didn't disappear uh, because God changed his mind. It wasn't as if God said, I want my people to worship me this way for century after century after century. The period of time we call it Old Testament. And then he suddenly said, you know what? I, I'm kind of sick of all of this sacrifice. I, I don't really, I don't need it anymore. Um, there, let's, let's just do away with all of that and let's just meet together. It wasn't It wasn't like that. The reason that all of the sacrifices disappeared is that Christ came and fulfilled every requirement of sacrifice permanently and forever. And so it's really important to realize, I think it's easy for us because we're so culturally removed from this whole scenario to say, oh, God just did away with all of that. The reality is that when we come into God's presence, we still come in the same pattern as the Old Testament. We still come through cleansing. We still come as a result of sacrifice. And so the way into God's presence is still the same as it's always been. The way into God's presence is still the same as it was in the Old Testament. It's just that we are not the ones that have to do the sacrifice. It's just that we are not the ones who have to do the ritual cleansing and figure out if we're clean or unclean and able to come into God's presence. Because of Christ, we know that we are permanently clean. Because of Christ, we know that our sin and our guilt has permanently been, been taken care of. Because of Christ, we know that we can have access to God the Father. And so the early church, the earliest Christians, they figured this out very quickly because they studied and they observed and they saw the life of Christ. And they could see that in everything he was doing, he was modeling what it was to come into God's presence and to make a way for us to come into God's presence. And so when they looked and they and they saw and they thought about Christ on the cross, they could see clearly that he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb that was being slain, just as in the Old Testament, when the families would bring a lamb to to be to be slain, to be given up, to be killed, that the blood would be shed in the same way that the families would have done that. And all of their forefathers, they would have looked and seen Christ on the cross and realized that's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just for one family, not just for one person, not just in a temporary way, but for all time. It's hard for us to get our minds around just the absolute radical shift that happened for the earliest Christians who came from this Jewish background, that suddenly they gave up everything that they knew in how to approach God, and suddenly they could come right into his presence. But they placed that much faith in Christ that he was the way into God's presence. And so we place our faith in him Our identity is in Christ, and he is the one who takes us into the presence of God. One way to think about this is to imagine a wall with a door in the middle of it. And so on the other side of that wall is God's presence, and we desperately long to be in God's presence. And in the Old Testament, that door was sacrifice. That door was you showed up with your goat or your sheep or whatever it was that you were going to give and sacrifice. And the high priest would take that or the priest would take that offering. He'd offer it up and that door would be opened for a very small window of time. And you would be able to see the way into God's presence through the high priest. But that door would close very quickly because it was a temporary sacrifice. And so, again, you would have this distance where you long to be in God's presence, where you long to worship him. When Moses received the law. He knew that there was more, right? Because he saw God face to face. And he knew that it was a temporary assignment. It was a temporary thing that was given to God's people. And when Christ came, he didn't knock down the wall so much as open the door permanently. Because there still is one way into God's presence. There is only one way. You can't get around going through the door. But he opened that door permanently, so we always have access into the presence of God. And so I don't want us to be confused that we just come into God's presence because he changed his mind. We still enter into God's presence through sacrifice and through cleansing. Jesus really embodied and encapsulated everything that there was to do with the Old Testament pattern of sacrifice and worship. I just want to give you a couple of examples of how he did that. Number one, we talked last week about the tabernacle that Moses and Aaron, it was established during that time when they wandered in the wilderness. And it was built to very specific you know, directions, and God gave all of these ways that it had to be built, and it was just so. And um, there was this idea of God, his tabernacle was with his people, meaning his presence was with his people in a very specific and real way. Well, in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, the writer of that gospel is introducing us to Jesus, and in John 1:14, he says that Christ came. Well, he says the Word came, speaking of Christ, came and dwelt among us. The way to think about that is that Jesus tabernacled among us. It's this same idea. When somebody would have read that in the New Testament days, they would have instantly thought of the tabernacle. They would have instantly thought of God being right there with His people. So Jesus embodies this idea of tabernacle, where God is right there with His people where God is right there in the midst of his people. In the same way, Jesus talks about himself as the temple. I don't know if you remember reading in the Gospels with Jesus. You know, he's kind of at the temple, or right? they're there a lot, and he says, this temple will be destroyed and built up again in three days. And his disciples are like, well, that's crazy, because it took so long to build this, this stone temple and this brick temple. What do you mean? And the Gospel writer says Jesus was talking about himself. So Jesus also very consciously embodied this idea of the temple this central place of worship where all nations would come to worship God. So Jesus in calling himself the temple is embodying this idea that he is the way that all nations will ultimately worship God. And we see that then reflected in the book of revelation where all the nations and every tribe and tongue come to worship and that Christ is the center of all worship. And we see that even in Philippians two, what we read this morning that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Um, as I mentioned, we come into God's presence through sacrifice. Jesus embodied the sacrifice, and we're really familiar with this, this idea, right, that Jesus himself was a sacrifice. It wasn't that he brought something on his behalf. He offered himself up in sacrifice for us, that he is the permanent sacrifice and the way that we come into God's presence. But Jesus isn't just a sacrifice. He's also the high priest, that made that sacrifice I don't know if you remember but Aaron when you read about him going into the presence of God and the Holy of Holies He had to make sacrifice for his own sin and his own guilt Then before he could do that for the people and go into God's presence Well, jesus takes care of all of that because he's not just the sacrifice, but he is the high priest And jesus is in the holy of holies permanently for us Because he has ascended to the father And he's at god's right hand He's in the Holy of Holies. And just as Aaron went into the Holy of Holies, the high priest in the Old Testament, he could only stay there for a very fixed period of time, and then he had to come back out. But Christ has permanently gone in to God's presence, permanently makes a way for us, and keeps the door open so that we can come in to God's presence. So Jesus fulfills all of these patterns of Old Testament worship, and that's why we spent time on them last week. Because when we understand those patterns of worship, we understand who Jesus is, at a much deeper level and all of our worship is focused on exalting jesus so in the same way that the new testament church worship they, they sang songs together and they met in each other's homes well the church over many centuries has developed ways of worshiping and some churches worship different styles and different ways and if you've been at a different church the new day you know that we do worship differently than other churches do worship and uh We don't want to say one way is right or or one way is wrong or anything like that. But what we do want to do this morning is just talk a little bit about why do we do worship at New Day the way we do worship? Like what makes, why have we decided to do worship the way we've decided to do it? And so if you know New Day very well, if you've been here for a while, you may have heard about the FIRE acronym, which really explains who we are as a church, right? That's familiar to most of us. And we want to just walk through real quickly the four letters here and just talk about Uh, how we try to incorporate these values into our worship time. So first of all, the F in FIRE stands for Father, Heart of God. And if you're at this church, you know that that's a big big thing for us. It's a big theme in, in our preaching, but it's also a big theme in our worship. That we believe that God is a loving father, that he's good, that he's for us and not against us. And that really changes how you worship, right? If you feel like God is a judge and he's sitting very far away from you and he only wants to point out the bad things that you've done, how you approach him in worship will look radically different. And for us, we believe that God is a loving father, and that really governs and is the foundation for how we approach him and come into his presence in worship. The eye for intimacy, again, related to God being a loving father, we believe we should sing songs that really reflect Intimacy of relationship with God, that we can come close to Him. We have an expectation that we can come into His presence. This idea of intimacy also um, shows up sometimes when we have quieter moments in worship. Moments of stillness, moments of quiet, where maybe there's just a little bit of music. Or there's those moments where it's just absolutely silent, where we are in this place of intimacy and closeness with God. Again, As a reminder, we don't come into God's presence on our terms. We come into God's presence on his terms. And so we always come into the presence of God through the name of Jesus and through him. We consciously come into worship through the name of Jesus because Jesus is the way that we have access to the Father. The R is for restoration, and we believe that in worship, there's the power of God that it's present to bring restoration and breakthrough in every area of our lives, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that in God's presence, there's restoration of joy, hope, peace, and freedom yeah. to every part of our lives. And, uh, and that's why we make room for people to share during worship, like happened this morning, because we want to make room to hear what God is doing, what is God restoring in someone else's life this morning. That we get to be a part of. What is God telling us he wants to restore during our time of worship together? You know, there's a freedom that comes because we're not bound by the the Old Testament patterns of worship. There's a freedom to experience God. And that's what the E stands for. Experiencing God in worship is what we're all about. And we should not be afraid to experience God in worship. Right? When we come into his presence, we should not be afraid to experience him. Part of that experience we're familiar with is, is using music and song, but we also incorporate, consciously incorporate the arts through painting and drawing and also through photography that you see in the foyer where it's all tied together to give expression. Sometimes we'll have dance. Sometimes we have flags. And all of this is, is building to a, a total experience where we want to be free in worship of God that we want to bring him all that we have, whatever that expression of worship looks like. We also consciously start our services with, with worship, with an extended period of worship. For us, that's 30 minutes, where we come in and we give the first of our time and our energy and our effort and attention to God and worship. Where we consciously make a decision to give the first part of our service to him and to focus on him as, as preeminent and, and as first priority in our lives. A couple of other things, and and then then Jill's going to come up and share about about personal worship. A couple of final things about our corporate worship together. Uh, We've consciously made a decision to have a very limited number of songs that we sing together. And and one reason that we do that is so that each of us can learn those songs and and internalize them so they're part of our personal worship. And um, we also try to not be learning new songs every week because we want to really be so focused on worship of Jesus that we don't want to have the distraction of constantly learning a new thing. Now, we do introduce new songs because we believe also that that is important, but we try to do it in a way where it's not a distraction every single week. Another important element for us in worship is, is generations worshiping together, and that's why kids are in worship with us. Because we feel like it's really important that worship is modeled for kids appropriately as they, as they grow up. That as they grow up in the church, they see worship as, as a family. That they see worship together. And that we as adults model what worship is to the kids in the church. And show them what it is to enter into God's presence. And then finally, uh, we worship together in communion. And once a month, we really take time for communion. And we see this pattern established in the early church where they broke bread together, where they had wine together to remember the sacrifice of Christ. In the same way, we continue to do that as a church and consciously make that decision to remember what Christ has done, to essentially retell the gospel story to each other, and we proclaim it until he comes. And for for us and for many other churches, that is the central part of our worship, the deepest part of our worship as we come together as a church. So that's just a very brief summary of some things to do with our our worship here at New Day when we come together as a church. And Jill's going to share some things to do with personal worship for today.
1: Okay, so I'm going to go into some other things that happen on Sunday morning, but how are we meant to personally respond to them. So the first thing I wanted to talk about were sila moments. I don't know how many of you even knew that we did these uh, intentionally. But what is that? What's a Selah moment? Um, Well, that's actually a Hebrew word that's an imperative or a command. That means to stop and listen or to pause and think about this. Okay, great. But when is it used in the Bible? Well, it's used 74 times in the Bible, 71 of which are in the Psalms. And you know that the Psalms are something that really teach us about worship. We know that David was a worshiper. You know that a lot of our worship songs come directly from the Psalms. So this is very appropriate in your worship service to have a Selah moment. So what does that look like on Sunday morning? Well, that's all those instrumental breaks that we do when we're not singing. That's where we're giving you time to reflect on those songs, to internalize it, and to respond to God personally. You may have never known that. That's why I'm telling you. right? So what what do I do? How does that work? Okay, well, this morning, I don't know if you remember, so we th- sang 10,000 Reasons, and um, if you think about what that song is about, it's actually an encouragement to yourself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before. You're talking to yourself, and that comes straight from the Psalms when David was saying, why are you downcast, my soul? So he was in a rough spot, and he was encouraging himself to still praise the Father in spite of his circumstances, right? And so then this song goes on, you know, the sun will come up again. It's a new day. You know, whatever happens, I'm still going to praise you. That was the first verse. And then in the second verse, it goes into a lot of characteristics of God. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. Your name is great. Your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons my heart will find. Okay, so that was... That's the response. I'm going to praise God. And right about that area, I don't know if you felt it, but we did an instrumental break. And it it was like you just wanted to start praising God personally, like to use those words. God, you are wonderful. You are good. You are kind. You are amazing, you know. And that's correct. That's the right response. That's what you're meant to do with those times, is to go ahead and respond, take your own words, and respond back to God. Now, what if you... uh, just are like, okay, I know that's true in my head. I'm not feeling it in my heart. Great. Take that time and say, you know what, God? I don't feel that today. Help me. Amen. That's totally appropriate. Right? So these moments are times for you to take where you're at and personally relate to God in the corporate setting. So worship is actually quite personal, even in church on Sunday morning. And you know how encouraging it is when maybe I'm struggling and the person next to me is doing really well and I hear them personally praising God and giving out. Do you know how encouraging that is to me then? And so you are actually, with your personal worship, you're encouraging each other to keep going. And so that's also a vital reason why we have those times in corporate settings. So I just wanted to kind of touch on that. The next thing I wanted to talk about is um, spontaneous worship. I don't know if you even realize that this happens all the time. This happened um, this morning, especially during Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. We did not practice that song that way. That we, that's not how we practiced that. I mean, we played those chords and we sang those words. but That wasn't the order. That wasn't the flow. That's not how it went. Well, Graham was leading that. And the reason why he led that is because he could see that there was a window of opportunity there. The Holy Spirit was highlighting something. Okay, so this is him responding to... His active and fresh relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So if you remember the stack the spontaneity. So this is that in action. And he was um, taking what happened in the 10,000 Reasons song, which is like, I'm going to praise the Lord no matter what. And then Jen came up and gave that word, right? She gave that word, it's a new day. Like, it doesn't matter what's happened before, what your circumstances say, it's a new day. So that's what God is emphasizing. And then Graham started singing, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. And we started dwelling on the fact that, yeah, God is beautiful. And you know what? My reward is to give glory to him. And he sang that several times. And it was kind of this natural progression. I might be downcast. God's still worthy. It's a new day. God, I'm going to give glory to you. I don't know if you see that. But that's what happened. And so when we... um, our worship leaders are all trained just to really listen to the Holy Spirit and to respond to his promptings. And often this means that first and second service look quite different. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever had the chance to sit through both worship services. We don't just mix it up because we're bored. That's not us. Okay? <laughs> That's totally God. And what's really exciting about this is, this is this is God interacting with us on Sunday morning. This is active, yeah. right? It's exciting. And then, of course, we had a good example of several prophetic words, and you could see how those added again. It emphasized different areas. So that's another encouragement I want to give you, is when the spontaneous worship happens or the flow kind of changes and prophetic words come forward, it's a good example of what is God emphasizing this morning, Mm -hmm. which also means it's a great chance for you to get a hold of that thing. Right? So the first word is about getting freedom. This is a great day to get some freedom because God told you it was. He also told you it was a new day. Well, I wanted freedom. It didn't happen this time. It's a new day. Come get prayer after service, right? Like this is what God just told you in worship this morning. He communicated with you directly. It's exciting. And that's why we have these elements in our service. So that's how you would respond to spontaneous worship is you take a hold of whatever the encouragement was, the exhortation was, you ask God for it, you come get prayer, you encourage other people, right? Does that make sense? So that's personal response. I just want to go into some general guidelines. There's five of them just to judge what worship is for yourself personally. Um, First, God wants us to worship and to respond to him with praise and thanks. So if you look at Psalm 104 to 5, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So right there, David's telling you why you should give thanks and praise. So if you're ever kind of stuck and you're like, I don't really feel like praising, I don't feel very thankful or my circumstances seem really overwhelming, just open the Psalms. There's so much. Enc- you can just turn that, write that into a prayer, yeah. right? God, I don't, might not feel like this today, but you know what? You are good. Amen. I know that you're good. I just am not feeling it. Maybe you could help me feel it. But I know that you're good, and I praise you for that, and I thank you for that, and I thank you that your love endures forever. And you know, as you start to to um, externalize that, as you start to really just put that before Him, it's going to change how you feel inside. In fact, there's this there's this triangle of um, feeling, thought and action. And if you change one of those things, you can change the other two. Right. So if you're not feeling something that you want to feel, act differently or think differently. Right. right? If you're not thinking the way you want to think, feel differently or act differently. A lot of times acting is one of the easiest ways you can do it because you can go do an action. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it's hard to change your feelings, but just go do an action. So opening the Psalms and starting to praise God would be an action. That would be excellent. Okay, point two, only God is worthy of our worship and total allegiance. So we see that in the Ten Commandments where he says, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's point two of worship. Point three is that worship should be sincere and not a performance. So what this really gets down to is the motivation of your heart. Why are you worshiping? What's your motivation? Um, in 1 Samuel 16:7, when Samuel goes to anoint the next king of Israel, um, God kind of rebukes Samuel a little bit and tells him, you know what, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. So God knows your heart. Now, this is a good reminder to the rest of us that we can't judge anyone else and how they're worshiping. You have no idea what's going on inside them. No idea. This is for you to judge yourself and to figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Now, sometimes, too, you're going to feel like, I should probably dance. I don't want to dance. And then, and then you're going to go, oh, but worship's not a performance. I don't have to dance. No. <laughs> so, again, there it's why are you doing it. If you feel like God's telling you to do it, and you're doing it as an act of obedience, which you remember was the frankincense, part of worship. Worship is obedience. The motivation of your heart is to be obedient to God. That's not a performance. That's sincere. So there's times when you might not feel like doing something, right? But out of obedience, you're doing it. That is absolutely 100% correct true worship. Um, Point number four, we worship out of an attitude of respect and love for God. So, again, going back to last week, we talked about the salt that went throughout the incense. We have a covenant of salt or a covenant of friendship with the Father, and that's from where all of our worship springs out of. And then just my last point, that worship is not just something we do at church. It is this 30 minutes we just had, absolutely, but it is also in everything that we do. Worship is giving honor and homage to a deity to someone that you adore and respect. And you can do that with your every action. That includes getting up and going to work and putting in a good eight hours, right? That's honoring your boss. That's loving your kids. That's cleaning your house. It's all of those things, right? It's honoring God with what you do. I mean, cleaning your house, I've thought about this before. I'm like, God, I don't really want a bigger house because I'm not going to take very good care of it and that wouldn't honor you, right? (laughs) Right? Like, I have a hard time vacuuming this one. But I think that's true. I think that when you honor your possessions that he's given you, right, you respect them and you take care of them, that's really honor to the Lord. That's showing thanksgiving to him for, for honoring you with those things. Yeah. So it's just a reminder that we can do this in our every action. And so just in closing, we've looked at the patterns of Old Testament worship last week. We also talked about incense as a model and the five components that make up our personal worship. This week, we talked about New Testament patterns of worship and how Jesus fulfilled all of those. We've looked at some specific things that happen at New Day, and I've given you an overview of um, just general guidelines for your own worship. So I just want to say that if you have any specific questions, Graham and I are very happy to talk to you, email, whatever. Um, There's lots we didn't cover. We prepared and cut out and cut out and cut out. So you know that there's a lot, and I'm sure that we didn't touch on everything. But feel free to contact us, and we thank you for this opportunity to to have these last two weeks. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, guys. I am not Erin. I just...